I'd like to share a story with you out of the book of Job. Chapter 42, right at the end, starting at verse 1. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, Who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, Listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you, therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. After the Lord had said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken the truth about me, as my servant Job has. So now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you, and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. You have not spoken the truth about me, as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Namathite did what the Lord told them. And the Lord accepted Job's prayer. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. All his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him in his house. They comforted and consoled him over all the trouble the Lord had brought on him. And each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. And he also had seven sons and three daughters. The first daughter he named Jemima, the second Kezia, and the third Karen Hapruk. Nowhere in all the land were there found women as beautiful as Job's daughters, and their father granted them an inheritance along with their brothers. After this, Job lived a hundred and forty years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. And so Job died, an old man and full of years. The book of Job is not easy reading. Those of you who've been through it, it's a hard read. It's hard because all of these terrible things happen to someone who is, by all appearances, someone who loves God very much. So what's most frustrating? Is it that Job suffers and redemption seems so far away? Or is it that Job's friends provide such sensible and logical advice. The things I might say. (laughs) But in the end are proven wrong. Or is it that God would allow something like this to happen to one of his children 
maybe that's where we might get hung up and maybe we'd be right to. But can I suggest that maybe the Holy Spirit wants to say something through this story, wants to speak into our lives today? There are three things here that I think we need to attend to. The first is this. The nature of suffering in the world. The second is the area of God's blessing in our lives. And the third is the freedom of God to fulfill His promise in our lives. Here's the thing with all the stuff Job's go, Job is going through, and it is horrendous. In one day, he loses ten children, livestock and servants, to invasion and natural catastrophe. And then come the skin sores, and you can imagine in your mind's eye how Job's body begins to waste away in illness and depression and suffering. And this is a lot like how the conversation goes as his friends gather around him. They're wanting to be supportive, but actually, they are kind of making things worse. (laughs) And I suppose this is what's hard for me to see, is that the things that they say make sense, they seem logical conclusions on a certain level. But where is it that his friends lead him? They say, look, if a person suffers, that suffering must somehow be deserved. You did it, you deserve it. The problem with this is that you then have to have, at some point, bought into a pretty big lie. And and this is the lie. The lie says, either God or the person suffering is entirely responsible for that suffering. And so why, in the light of Jesus Christ, do we know that this is a lie? Because God is our creator and redeemer. Where he creates, there is perfect goodness. No imperfection, no evil. God is also a redeemer. He redeems, he transforms, he recreates fallen nature, fallen humanity into perfection. This is the promise that Paul reminds us of. That redemption isn't kind of halfway out of the mire. It's full restoration in Jesus Christ. So if it's not God who's the problem, maybe it's the suffering person. And if the sufferer is herself responsible for suffering, or himself, do you know what that would do to God? That means that God would either be powerless to keep this from happening, Or he is, in fact, not a good God at all. He causes suffering himself, and we are the victims of that suffering. And you know that this is a very dangerous story indeed. An untrue story. 
So if God does not cause suffering, and then suffering people do not cause suffering. Okay, Rob, come on, help us out. Where, where are you taking us? What's happening? It's going to be hard to hear. It's going to be hard to hear. And it's going to be hard for our minds to accept this, but I'm going to suggest this. There is sometimes no way for human beings to understand suffering. Sometimes we will never know the meaning of suffering. And this is exactly what the Lord says to Job. The reason for suffering, if there are any, are beyond human comprehension. So what's left? What's left if suffering doesn't have the meaning that we try and pin on it? You know, so often we tell the story of Job as if we're in the lecturer's chair, as if we're in the position of authority, as if we're the ones passing judgment. And it's quite easy because we're in a situation where We are dropped into this story of Job. We see what's happening from up here. We see his friends get involved. In a way, we know what's going to happen. And so we find ourselves in this natural position of authority. Isn't this horrible, we say? How could God allow this? Certainly Job must have done something wrong. And so often we don't actually wait for God to speak. We don't actually wait for the words He's going to say. And this is how the whole book is structured, isn't it? says why in the leading bit, the lead up to chapter 42, we get this whole long narrative from God who's held back this whole time. Conjecture upon conjecture, opinion and opinion, all around the campfire. And finally God has his say. Chapter and verse. And what does he say? It's the story of creation. That's what God comes back with. The story of what he's done, and it is good. It is pure. It is wonderful and breathtaking. Line after line, verse after verse, creatures whom you may never have heard of, but God created them in their power and in their wonder and in their glory. Who has done these things? God has. And God is doing it today. He's doing it right now. So how do we respond? God says this. Just wait. Wait for me. 
Wait for me to do something utterly and completely amazing in your life. Utterly groundbreaking. Something that will bless you beyond comparison. Something that will restore you and fulfill you in ways that you could never have imagined. And this will be something that takes root not just in you, but in all of creation. But what do we do? We interrupt. It's impossible, isn't it? It's impossible not to. We hate waiting. I hate waiting. Like Job's friends, we interrupt. Let me tell you, let me tell you what God is like. Let me just, let me just tell you what God is like. Let me talk over the silence in which Jesus is waiting patiently in your life. Let me try and stand in the gap with my explanations, my reasonings, my understanding of the world and politics and religion and everything else. God is God. God is that. Surely you must know this is God. Let me tell you about God. And God, when we listen, because he's given us that freedom, the freedom to listen or not to listen, when we listen, this is what he says. Hold fast. I am doing a new thing. And what do I do? I talk right over him. That's what I do. Even if we're telling the gospel story, let me, just, let me just tell you this story. Let me just speak for God. Let me just pray my will and ambitions and aspirations over your life. Right? What does God say? God says, let me be God. Is it, is it not enough for you that you are human and I am creator and you still want to have the last word. <laughs> it is, is it not enough for you just to give me a moment to speak into your life? Come on. Hold fast. That's what Paul says. Hold fast. In 1967, a young man named John had reached the end of his life. You see, he had gotten so fed up and so frustrated, he'd just gotten to the end of himself and he didn't want any more of it. He made a plan. He drove his Jeep down to a system of caves near Tennessee on the Tennessee River called the Nakajak Caves. He parked his Jeep there. And he got out his torch and he went into those caves on hands and knees. You see, John was really battling addiction, and he was losing, and he knew it. You know, there weren't enough pills, and there weren't enough alcohol to soothe his hurts. And he was sabotaging his job, his friendships, his life. And so he crawled into those caves on hands and knees, For three hours, he crawled. 
until the batteries in his torch died and there he lay in the dark. These are his words. I never wanted to see another dawn. I'd wasted my life. I had drifted so far away from God and every stabilizing force in my life that I felt there was no hope for me. The absolute lack of light was appropriate for at that moment. I was as far from God as I ever had been. My separation from him, the deepest and most ravaging of the various kinds of loneliness I'd felt over the years, seemed finally complete. But then something happened. As he lay in the darkness waiting for death, bewailing his miserable state, a thought entered his head. It was a profound truth about God. He said, suddenly I realized I had this moment of clarity. He said, I thought I'd left him. But he hadn't left me. At that moment, he began to feel something powerful taking place in his mind and body. He called it a sensation of utter peace, clarity, and sobriety. And in that moment of utter stillness and perfect peace... He had another strange thought. He thought, I'm not in charge of my destiny. I'm not in charge of my own death. I'm going to die in God's time, not mine. And he said, you know, the amazing thing was is He said, I hadn't prayed over my decision to seek death in the cave, but that hadn't stopped God from intervening in his life. God stepped in without request to save him. Hold fast. So having no idea where to turn, he started crawling in the dark. And you can imagine this man suddenly awake with life and joyful, but also really scared. No idea where to go, what to do. He just started crawling. He had to feel ahead of himself all the time because there were drop-offs, there were precipices every which way. He'd stop, he'd start again, hours went by. Till finally he began to feel a breeze. You don't get too many of those in caves. And the thought hit him, this is fresh air. And as he stumbled out, blinded by the light, hours and hours after he'd gone into those caves, of all things, his mother and his best friend were there with food and water. And they said, John, we don't know. We just had this feeling you were in trouble. And so we came here, and we found your Jeep. On the drive home, John committed his life to Jesus Christ. 
It was almost as if this time God was driving the conversation, not him. This time, John, this time will be different. No more drugs, no more booze. And John recovered. He had a son. His career took off. And within a few years, he recorded the album Folsom Prison Blues which has sold three million copies to date. You probably know John as Johnny Cash. God stepped into his life. He knew it. He attested to it. He testified to it. He was clear about his commitment to Jesus Christ. Hold fast. Hold fast. Wait for me, God says. Be patient. Hold fast to the gospel. Hold fast to the word you've been given. Stand in it. What if I told you that God is going to bless you and bless all of those around you And bless this church and that he does not want you or me to get in the way. And maybe if you're like me, sometimes you need to hear those words from God. Just let go. Just let go. Just relax. Maybe you need to hear those words from God. Just let me do this one for once. Hold fast. Okay? God, you be God, and I'll be me. That means, Rob, don't do anything, don't speak. Don't presume. Don't rush in. Hold fast. And do you know what the test is? Do you know how you know when God steps in and starts to work? Do you you know how you know? You can tell straight away because whatever story starts to unfold, you just ask yourself, who's being glorified here? Who's being glorified in this thing that's happening in my life? And if it's God, you know it's Him doing it. Hold fast. Amen.